Hey guys, we want to welcome you to today's podcast, Bridge Building Solutions. I am really excited about every opportunity that I have to come and talk to you, to use this simple little platform to share my heart, to have conversations with people, to talk about challenging subjects because we just, we need help. You know, we got a lot of problems going on in this world. We have a lot of division, we have a lot of angst and we need healing and we need to learn some things. We need to be able to learn how to talk about some things that are ultimately going to help us all take steps towards each other in our lives. This podcast is called Bridge Building Solutions because we're trying to figure out how to build bridges into each other's lives. We're too polarized. We're too separated, segregated. We've got too many issues going on. And as children of God, sons and daughters of God, we should we should have a desire, an innate desire on the inside of us to do something about that, to, to be there for each other, to do whatever it takes to bring the healing that we need in our nation and in our world. That's what loving your neighbor as yourself is all about. You know, I've been pastoring in diverse spaces for over 30 years now, and I wrote a book recently. Actually, uh, the book launched right at the beginning of COVID last year, but it's called Navigating Diversity in Our Most Segregated Hour. And I, I, I wrote some things on the back of this book that I just want to share with you a little bit today. But it says, why? Here's a question. And I want you to think about this. Why do race issues still exist in this progressive age? I mean, you would think if anybody could get their act together, it would be us. We have so much knowledge available to us. We we have so many progressive ideas that are manifesting out there, but yet we still don't seem to be able to get it together. Here's another question. Why are people still afraid to engage in unifying conversations? Well, one of the reasons is, is because we don't know how to do that. We don't have the language to do that, so we avoid them. And then here's a question. Is racial healing really a possibility? These are these are good questions. And then how do we how do we come together for lasting change? And ultimately, I don't, I don't care what area of life it is, whether it's your family, your marriage, our churches, or our racial division, or whatever. We've we've got to figure out some new things to ultimately bring about the healing that we need. I, I've got a quote by Albert Einstein that I want to read to you. And he made this statement. He said, we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking that we use to create them. I want you to think about that. We cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we use to create them. You know what? We need to to look at, we need some new perspective. We need to uh, look at things differently in order to bring about the healing that uh, we need in our lives. So that's kind of what Bridge Building Solutions is all about. We're going to have an opportunity to talk about some of these tough subjects. We're going to have an opportunity to learn about what other people are doing in this world to, you know, bring about the healing that we need in our world, in our nation. And and I'm really excited about that. So I hope that you'll pull off to the side of the road for a few minutes here and uh, maybe uh, engage with this podcast, listen to this podcast, and and hopefully you'll be able to get some something out of our times together. Today, I am really excited because we have a special guest with us today, Nick Malstead, who is the co-founder of the MOVE Project. In fact, I want to bring Nick in here with us right now, and I'm going to add him uh, to our stream here. Hey, Nick, how's everything going? Hey, pretty good. How are you? I, I am really excited about uh, having you as a guest today and talking about the MOVE Project and 
uh, I want to give you a little bit of an opportunity to uh, tell us about how in the world something like this got started. It's it's about 11, year, 11 years old from what I understand now. You founded this in 2010? Yeah, that's right. Yep, we got our start in 2010. Wow. So uh, in full disclosure here, I got to tell you that Nick is my nephew and I'm really proud of this young man and and uh, all that he is is doing in this world. And our conversation is going to go well beyond the Move Project today. But today it's about the Move Project. And, uh, you know, there's probably a lot of people that are listening to this podcast now, watching this right now that uh, probably have not ever heard of the Move Project. So I'm going to I want to give you an opportunity to tell us about it. Tell us about how it came about and and what are some of the priorities of the Move Project? Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks again for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm always excited to talk about the Move Project. So, yeah, like you mentioned, we got our start in 2010. Um, it came after some discussions with with my brother Sam and I, where we had been in uh, in, a, in the corporate setting, been involved in some. Um, reach out or outreach projects and uh, coordinating some opportunities for people to get involved in the local community for those that we work with. Um, and we just had this, uh, this, this stirring that we needed to, to continue to do something more. Um, and out of that was birthed the move project. And when we got our start, we were doing work in the, in the Des Moines area, um, particularly around homelessness issues. Um, partnering with the local shelter, um, getting people engaged, uh, facilitating uh, outreach opportunities and things like that. Um, and then in uh, about 2015 is when we took our work overseas and began to do work in Chapasi, Ghana, which is West Africa. Um, and we landed there because um, we have, uh, well, we've since now adopted um, three of our seven children from Ghana. And when we were going through the adoption process, um, we knew wherever we uh, adopted from, uh, we were going to stay long-term and give back and, and really uh, ensure that we had that connection, um, both with our family and the country of origin for uh, three of our kids. Uh, yeah, so that's how we landed in um, in Ghana in the first place, which a lot of people are curious about. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, as you so from what I understand, wow, that's a big leap from uh, Des Moines to Chapasi in Ghana. But uh, um, it all started out of a, um, an adoption process. Do I understand that? And the desire to not only adopt children from there, but also to give back to that nation. Uh, what are some of the things that you have uh, accomplished there, started doing there? Yeah, yeah, it's really important for us um, to really have a clear uh, vision about what we're doing there. You know, we've seen so many people um, really all over the world, but specifically in uh, the con or on the continent of Africa, but in the country of Ghana, uh, so many people coming and going, um, installing a, a clean water well and then, you know, never coming back. And so we took all of those lessons to heart and. Um, what we did actually is for the first uh, two and a half or three years, um, just a couple of us from TMP would go over to Chapasi and really begin to lay um, groundwork to form relationships. Um, and we began to met with the village to meet with the village elders, 
uh, the community leaders, uh, two, uh, actually three of our uh, board of directors are Ghanaian nationals. And so um, they spent so much time on the ground uh, figuring out, you know, as a group, what we wanted to do in, a, in our approach in doing that. And then once we had settled on that, um, they spent a lot of time going out into the communities of need um, and, and really beginning to, to lay that groundwork for us before we even came over there the first time. Um, and that was really important because it since um, served us very well to have relationships first, not wow. projects first. Um, so we sat down with uh, the community leadership and said, here's our vision. We want to partner with you. Uh, we want to do projects that are going to be beneficial for you, for your community, um, not just something we say needs to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we formulated a vision um, collaboratively with the village and we started with clean water. They had no access to clean drinking water. And as a matter of fact, the first meeting we had, um, they walked us out a couple hundred yards from where we were meeting and they, and they walked us up to the ravine. And um, they said, look, the, the, the government has uh, trenched this ravine to collect rainwater for our cattle, but we've been petitioning for clean water for years um, and haven't been able to get it. Um, and that really drove drove the message home to us that this wasn't just a a, a glamour project um, by any means, but it was a it was a real need. And so uh, we started with water, and as we were planning for that, um, we knew based on our discussions with them that education was next. Um, mm. They're a village of a couple thousand people, um, and it's in a very rural part um, of of Ghana, and their children didn't have access to um, formal education. And we were talking through that. It was very, very important to them um, to get to to get access to education for their kids. And and when we were talking about that, um, they let us know that only like six or seven people had ever gone on um, to secondary education, which is the equivalent for us of about middle school. Um, so the community ever had gone that far before. Wow, that's amazing. Can you and you know this is something that. Most of the people listening to the podcast or watching this are probably, you know, it's so hard for us to relate to this. I mean, to 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 not have access to clean drinking water is just I mean, it's just really almost impossible for us to wrap our heads around. And education is the same mm -hmm. to think that there are not uh, educational opportunities available to our children. And yet this is a reality. And I think sometimes, you know, in this nation, we, we don't realize how many people do not have access to those basic needs, drinking water, education. It's just amazing to me. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And it, I mean, it, when you go over there too, and, and I'm sure it's this way in, in many other parts of the world too, but, but when you go to Ghana, um, you see the, you see the real gap when you land in the capital city, it's, it's very Westernized. Um, there's, uh, there's shopping malls, there's everything you would normally expect if you're living here in the United States. Hmm. Uh, but you know, you, where we are, you go out, um, hour and a half, two hours out of the capital and it's completely different abject poverty, like we had never seen before and issues like no access to clean water, um, you know, no access to formal education, things like that. So yeah. So we to learn these things from, uh, and I love that you use people right in the country, you involve them in the process and didn't try to go in as some kind of a, 
with a, some kind of a savior mentality and do something and brag about it back here. But you, you actually involved the people from the community and really dug into what they needed. Yeah. So how, how, how did you respond to that? When, when you found out drinking water education was two very, very important things that they needed, how did the MOVE project respond to that? Yeah, so we, we brought that back. So we spent a week um, with nothing on the agenda other than learning from the community what would be most beneficial for them. And it, and it wasn't just tell us your first project or tell us your second project uh, that you would need, but it was more if we're going to be here for 20 years, what does this look like? And so we came home with a pretty overwhelming list of work to do. Um, and of course, we had them in priority based on what the village had communicated to us. So they set the priority, not us. Um, and we we came home and immediately began fundraising. Um, and it took us a while. We were we were an upstart. You know, um, not many people knew who we were. Uh, and <laughs> I'm sure, as you know, uh, raising funds uh, for things isn't easy, especially now. Uh, but even back then, um, it, it took us a while to do that. But uh, I think our message was unique in that it, the priority, the collaborative nature was all coming from the village leadership. We had members on our team who um, born and raised in Ghana, live in Ghana currently, can articulate the needs um, in ways that we could understand it with our American lens that we look at everything through. And so it really helped um, bridge that cultural gap that really could have been a stumbling block. And and we'd been there on um, other trips before. And so we'd seen how that how that culture gap really does get in the way of good work. Um, and so we took that lesson with us as well, um, which is um, one of just many reasons why we have um, this real desire to have Ghanaians um, working on everything we do, part of our board, um, and all of the projects we do in Ghana, we hire all local labor. Um, we don't take anyone with us. We don't hire people from, uh, you know, uh, maybe the capital city and such. We find, we look uh, for everything we do. We look directly in the community of Chapasi to look for that skilled labor there first to make sure that um, it is a true community partnership. Um, and then we've had a couple of projects where uh, the, the required skill wasn't there. So we did have to go outside the community for sure. uh, certain things, but we, but that's always the first place we look and, and having Ghanaians um, part of the organization and, and really leading it, they're spearheading these efforts over in Ghana um, has really, really helped us uh, bridge that gap. You know, that, that makes me think of a couple of things. Number one, how did they respond to that? I mean, that openness and that desire to uh, use them in this process in a major way. And then the second thing is, is how do you maintain that relationship with them? How do you how do you continue to build that relationship? I mean, we're on the other side of the world. And, and uh, so, yeah, how did they respond? to you being so open to engage them in that process. And then, then what, how does the MOVE project, how do you guys, you know, build that relationship, maintain it and continue to build it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the response uh, was actually kind of a mixed bag. So when, um, when we were meeting with the community leadership, of course, that group was incredibly excited. They'd never had outside interest um, in their community. It's, it's rural um, it's very impoverished. Um, there's nothing really for them to give. And so they'd never had anybody come in and say, how can we help you? Yeah. Um, so that response was amazing. 
when we got the school up and running, uh, it's actually kind of a funny story. So uh, we built the school, which took us uh, way longer <laughs> than, than I was hoping it would. Um, but that's how it goes. But we had the building open. And um, so we held, we held our first community meeting because the school, um, and we presented this to the community as well before we started um, building, but the school was going to serve the children of Chapasi, but it's also intended to double as a community space. So mm -hmm. a community can, can come together, um, can gather and use it for whatever they want, um, whether it be like a town hall or just a just a gathering place where where everybody can meet up under a roof. And so um, we had the building and, and one of our first group meetings, uh, I was very, very excited. I mean, it was like tremendously um, amazing to me that, <laughs> that we had pulled this off. And I'll never forget uh, the first person. So we, we give this big presentation and we're, everybody's happy. And, and uh, so then we ask kind of a, a, for a Q&A session. And of course, it's got to be translated twice to me, twice back to them. So it makes for an interesting discussion. But I'll never forget the first person raised their hand and like, okay, great. So what? And I just remember thinking that like, I was stunned. Like, what do you mean? So what? Mm -hmm. um, but they were so concerned with, with their kids. It really what was being communicated is like, great, we have a building, but where are the teachers? What mm -hmm. happens if we can't afford tuition? Um, and and uh, will they be fed? Like they had all of these very real concerns that were being communicated. And so it taught me a really good lesson. And that is to always make sure we're asking questions, you know, something might be very clear to me, um, but it may not be to somebody else. And so be open to questions, definitely be open to critique and criticism. We've gotten, we've gotten that along the way, but, but it really allows us to ensure that the needs are being met in a way that is meaningful uh, to that village and, and the people that live there. And so it was really interesting. And, um, little unnerving in the beginning, but uh, yeah. navigate that. And then how we maintain those relationships is um, we we go, um, I'm used to going at least once or twice a year, um, but the way we started our connection um, with the community is we sent our, our Ghanaian team out into the, yeah, to the village numerous times before we ever showed up. Oh. And reason that's important for us is we want we want the village of Chapasi to know and and continue to um, reiterate the fact that like the Ghanaians are the face of the move project in Ghana um, mm -hmm. it's not something I'm doing it's not something our other co-founders are doing um, we're supporting and they are leading and that that's really important to us yeah. And that's helped us maintain that relationship. So it's not that I have to be there all the time in person for things to be done or for, um, you know, town halls to be uh, held or for meetings with the local chief to be held. They have our Ghanaian representatives over there. Um, and they were the first ones that they met in this whole project. And so we've been able, um, we've been able to maintain those relationships very well because uh, they're not waiting for me to come. Um, they've got somebody right there on the ground who is is leading the charge. Wow, I, I love it. It's such a great model, you know, and I, I'm just uh, excited about the accomplishments. And so, and in the time that we have left, let, let's kind of talk about the school a little bit and maybe 
uh, talk about next steps, what's next, what's coming up. But tell us a little bit about the school. Here we are 11 years after the beginning of the MOVE project, and the school is up and running. Tell us a little, some of the demographics of the school and maybe what you've got going on. And I know you're right in the middle of another fundraiser, and that's part of the reason that I wanted to have you on here today, because I want to help get the word out. What a great opportunity for people to partner with you. So tell uh, yeah. us up about the school and maybe tell us a little bit about what's next and the uh, project that you have going on. Yeah, perfect. So, yeah, in, in uh, 2018, we opened the Move Project Academy, which is a primary school. So it's about the equivalent of um, pre-K to about fifth or sixth grade here in the United States is about the equivalent of, of our primary school. Um, so we opened that in 2018. And due to the, the space we have, um, we opened it up to to the kids living in Japasi, which was our initial commitment. And um, slowly but surely over the last couple of years, um, we're now educating about 125, um, 130 kids every day, uh, you know, with, with no um, access to formal education over there. What we did in the beginning is we separated the classrooms by age but essentially everyone was learning the same curriculum. We were, everyone was learning regardless of how young or old you were. Um, we started everybody out at about a, a kindergarten um, curriculum. And then over the last couple of years, obviously the older kids are, are just exploding uh, with knowledge. And so there we've begun to differentiate the curriculum based a little more age and grade appropriate for them, mm-hmm. uh, which um, has led to the to this new problem of needing more space. And so our original school is um, seven classrooms big. Um, and now that we and we've also begun to um, group the older kids together. So we'll have we have our fifth and sixth graders together. We have our third and fourth graders together in the same room. Um, and now because they're beginning to, to differentiate to a more grade appropriate level, um, we need more space. So we are right now in the middle of raising funds for a second wing of the Move Project Academy. It's going to mirror the first one. So it's seven classrooms um, big. And what we're going to do is we're going to use five classrooms for daily classroom learning for the older kids. And then we've actually um, partnered with a nonprofit in Ghana and we're going to use one of the classrooms for our first ever library. And we're really, really excited about this. We have books over there now. They're stashed in the principal's office. And so we loan them out. Um, but I am so excited and the kids are so excited to get a, a room dedicated uh, to books. Obviously, if somebody uh, wants to get more information or make a donation uh, to them, they can go to your website, the Move Project. Uh, dot com website is that correct? Uh, move, the moveproject.org. Yeah. Dot org. Okay, I'm sorry. Good. Well, it'll be on the screen. Correct. Sorry for the the mistake there, but um, obviously um, uh, you need help, and you know I know that there's going to be some people that want to help you. I, I have a little saying, you know, where God guides, He provides. God's plan done His way won't lack His provision. So I, I know that you know uh, that you have a heart to accomplish this and. I, I, I'm just excited that you guys did what you believed in your heart you were supposed to do 11 years ago. And I hope people will come alongside you and 
and uh, help you accomplish this. Any anything in the pipe that's coming in the future down the road as it relates yeah. to the project? Okay, so um, yeah, so once we get the school, um, the second wing built, uh, we'll have we'll have the new library. We'll have five more classrooms, um, and then the last room will be used for a future computer lab um, at some point in the future. And uh, once that's up and running, um, we'll add more into our feeding program. So currently, we feed all the students at least once a day and our staff, um, sometimes two meals a day, it just kind of depends what's going on in the community. Um, and then uh, our head chef, Alima, has done some really incredible work uh, working with the women in the community um, for other developmental programs. Um, but out of that has come a need for uh, some more meals to be distributed within the community. So she's identified a handful of families um, where after our lunch hour is over, um, she'll prepare some meals and then um, distribute those within the community. So we'll um, not only continue that, but with a new uh, group of students that we'll continue to welcome in when we have more space, um, we'll continue uh, to ramp up that feeding program as well. Um, and then I mentioned earlier, we use the school for more than just the school. So uh, one of the things that we're working on is continuing to open up the school after regular school hours for English classes. And so um, what that allows uh, the adults that want to do um, is to come learn uh, English. English is the national language um, in Ghana. And with this being a rural agricultural village, they have to take their own crops to market. And um, if you speak English in the market, um, you uh, you have a better opportunity to speak with a, a wider range of people. And if you don't speak English, um, you're, you're sort of at a disadvantage. And so that's one of the things we continue to work on with the community as well is setting up these, these uh, English, um, English learning classes. And so uh, that, this, this new space will help us kind of expand that as well. Well, that's incredible. And I'm sure even with this pandemic, uh, the, with the food crisis in so many uh, situations, it's all the more important. But, well, I, I really uh, appreciate you coming on here, Nick, and telling us about the MOVE Project. What a, what a great opportunity for um, all of us to get involved in and partner with the, the great work that you're doing. We just appreciate the heart that you have um, for this and are excited about the future and what an incredible uh, blessing this is, is has become and will be in this uh, community in Ghana. So I wanted to uh, thank you for sharing that. And I want to remind everybody that if you'd like to get more information or make a contribution, you can go to themoveproject.org. Um, visit their website. You can subscribe to their newsletter and uh, be kept abreast about some stuff that's going on and also uh, hopefully uh, make your donation there. That's right. You, you know, as we uh, kind of bring this to a close, Nick, I, 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 I'm grateful that we've had an opportunity to talk about the MOVE project today, give a little bit of exposure to that and learn about what you're doing in Ghana. But I also know you because you're part of my family that you know, you have gone through a real transformation in your life. You mentioned that you um, uh, adopted some children from Ghana and obviously multi-ethnic family now and uh, transracial adoption and all that goes along with that. But that has uh, made you keenly aware of some of the uh, racial issues that we are dealing with in our own nation and, and, and kind of moved you from 
uh, being what we hear a lot about being a non-racist to, uh, you know, getting involved in becoming an anti, uh, involved in anti-racism work. And I'd really like to get you back on here sometime in the future and, and talk about some of the work that you're doing in your community along these lines. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was, uh, I'd be happy to. And uh, like you mentioned, you know, I think the thing for me that, you know, I, I, I grew up in a multi-ethnic church, Cornerstone. And so, you know, growing up in that environment, um, I was aware uh, that there were um, issues of race that were causing um, our black and brown sisters to um, go through things that I didn't have to go through as a white person. I knew it, um, and I, but I, was, I sat on the edge um, and didn't really do much with it. And my turning point was um, the death of uh, Trayvon Martin. And that's what really projected me um, into anti-racism work where uh, we're out there advocating um, for change and equity. Um, so yeah, I'd love to come back and, and talk more about that with you. Cool, um, important work and I'm, I'm looking forward to that opportunity. Well, I'm gonna let you jump off here and uh, I'll finish up this podcast and, and we'll talk real soon, okay? All right, great. Thanks again for having me, appreciate it. Okay. All right, guys, we're gonna bring this podcast to an end. I know we kind of went a little bit long today, but uh, just such an important uh, opportunity that I wanna share with you about what uh, God is doing in Ghana and through uh, the, the MOVE project. And I hope that you will visit the website, make a contribution, get involved, and let's become partners to that work. And let's just keep up doing what we're doing. You know, let's treat each other with respect and dignity and honor and let's be good to each other. And I like to end the broadcast every week by just saying, may we be people of peace with voices of hope, willing to do the hard work of love. I'll see you next time.